0: Hey, friends, thanks so much for tuning into the Inner Revolution podcast. Are you ready to be changed? Well, let's go. These have been great broadcasts on, on the parables, and we can learn a lot, a lot of principles here in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, this one specifically on the laborers, and it's always fascinating just how Jesus spoke and uh clearly communicated his father's heart to those that uh knew him and to those that did not know him uh there was really uh just an obscurity we could say and because of the spirit the spirit teaches us all things and we we see some interesting points here um in Matthew chapter 21 through 16 and and uh, I'm always uh Encourage when I read this story because of the very last verse, and uh, and that's really the premise that he is bringing up here. I'm, I'm sorry, in the verse 16, that the first will be last, and the last will be first. For many are called, but few are chosen. So, when we read this parable, it's talking about rewards. It's talking about different times in history, uh, illustrated here through a workman and and them getting paid depending on how much hours they're working, but really it's relating to history, how people will get saved at different points in their lives, and then they are uh, rewarded for their obedience and for their uh, life of faith. And so he starts out here in verse tw- uh, chapter 20, verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder that went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And we could really say that his vineyard is the world, isn't it? It's really a place where God has us alive for his purpose. And when his purpose in us is finished, then we will meet Jesus. And, um, and when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into the vineyard. Now, notice those words very carefully, because I think, practically speaking, uh, when God makes a promise and he gives definition— he does not change; we change. Our perception of God may change due to uh, problems or crisis, but really, and this is what we're going to see here in this story, that He agreed with the laborers. Like there was a understanding of what the truth uh, was decided upon, and I, I bring that emphasis out because so many people imagine a vain thing because they forget the first mention or the first precept of what god has said so why i say this is because life can somehow change our view of god and that that's understandable but it's but it's also not good because god is the same yesterday today and forever and that's why what we know of God is absolute, and He never changes. And he makes an agreement, He makes an oath, He makes a promise to you in First Kings 856, that will never fail. But somehow we can read into it based on our emotions. We can read into things based on problems or trials or or just um, offense. We can read into it and somehow come to a vain conclusion. And we're going to see that in a few minutes here. And he went out to the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Again, it's an interesting statement, standing idle with no purpose, no really activity for the kingdom. And he said to them, go ye also into the vineyard and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And then they went their way. And it goes on in the next few verses here, the sixth hour, the ninth hour. He did likewise. And again in verse 6, the, the 11th hour, he found people standing idle. And he says, Why stand ye here all the day idle? And that can happen as Christians. We can be um, just busy with our own lives and be spiritually idle uh, or non fruitful or uh, aimless. And then he said it to him, Because no man has hired us in verse 7. And he said unto him, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right ye shall receive. And I want to share the five crowns in a few moments uh, that we will receive as believers as we obey truth and as we walk in faith. Uh, So when even when was come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto the steward, call the laborers and give them their hire in verse 8, beginning from the last unto the first. Now, imagine you working a whole day, an eight-hour day, and somebody works one hour, and they get the same pay that you got working a whole hour. Now you'd say, or I'd say, hey, that's unfair. You know, they, you know, I put more time, energy, and effort. But the principle here is God is saying, listen, my generous action of redemption is for whosoever will may come. And it doesn't matter, well, in one sense, it matters where we have more rewards as we walk with God in time and 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 in faith comparatively to the one maybe that receives the Lord on their deathbed or near to that. Uh, But the principle is God saying, I am going to give eternal life to whosoever will that comes. If that's hours or years in their lifetime. And by the way, in one sense, we could say, uh, is the person more saved if they walked with God many years comparatively the one that 's just saved for a few hours or a few days or a few months? And we understand that that a hundred percent of God is a hundred percent in us a hundred percent of the time. So really time time is what we can uh, live out our Christian walk. Time gives us that opportunity to uh, confirm his faithfulness. But what happens in verse 10 when the first came they supposed that they would have received more and they likewise they received one a penny. And when he'd received it they murmured against the good the good man of the house saying the last had wrought but one hour and and has made them equal to us which has borne the burden of the heat of the day. Now isn't this a natural and and logical conclusion but in the spirit world. Uh, God doesn't deal uh, only in reasoning. He starts the parable by saying, "Hey, listen, you agreed, we made a commitment, we made a contract, and so therefore I, Jesus is saying, I set up the rules. it's a unilateral decision based on me, the giver, and therefore you are the recipient and uh, but it, it all depends on on the uh, on the giver, Christ. And in our natural life, we can want to negotiate with God, and, and we understand that God is not fair, but he is just, and he sees the whole picture. In verse 13, but he'd answered one of them and said, friend, I do you no wrong. Did not thou agree with me for a penny? That thine, that thine, Take that which is yours, and go your way, and give unto the last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? And there it is. That is the zinger. Because when we try to define God based on his action, we will misunderstand God every single time because God is not discernible based on our own natural critical thinking or logic. God is not reasonable, he is just perfect, his ways and thoughts are not our ways. So when we say uh, things like, why do good people suffer, or why, does, why, do, why is there pain in the world, uh, we start to rationalize um, the good based on our definition of good comparatively to the definition of God being absolute goodness. And 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 the point is is because our eye is evil. And in Psalm two, one and two it says, Why do you imagine a vain thing? Why is it that you see something based on yourself, your own your own conclusions, and you have missed my character and nature? Why is it you see something that's not there? Uh and it isn't doesn't this happen in relationships a lot? It it's amazing how uh people might interpret something, they may see something, they may process something in their heart based on their broken nature, and then they project it and they say, oh, that person's angry with me, or oh, that person doesn't like me, or that person's against me, or God is punishing me, or whatever vain imagination that comes into our mind in 2 Corinthians 10 that argues against the nature and character of God, and then all of a sudden our reality is based on what is what we think should happen. And I'll tell you, in the last days, as we near the rapture, this can take out Christians because they begin to process God in in our own natural reasoning, and therefore, in Romans eleven thirty three, we are left with more questions than answers because he he is past finding out. So, and then he goes on to say, so the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. So, in our natural chronological understanding, the Listen, the, the first person should get priority. The first person should get uh, partiality. They should have the preeminence. And God is saying, nope, I am giving 100% of myself to 100% of those that whosoever will may come. Now, the benefit, if we could say, of walking with God many years is that we can receive the reward of heaven. We can receive crowns and we can receive lights of glory that can be added to our spiritual body. We can receive authority. Uh, and I want to give you a couple of uh <clears throat> five different crowns that we receive. Number one, we can receive the imperishable crown in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. It says here that do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize. Run that you would receive it. So this heavenly crown of 1 Peter 1.4 and Matthew 6.19 is a crown that will never rust or corrupt, but will be a sign of, uh, again, of a level of honor a level of authority because we used our time wisely and we honored God with our time. Number two, the crown of rejoicing of 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Again, those that are looking for his appearing and they're rejoicing in the presence of God in Luke 15.7. Number three, the crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy four eight. For there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day. Not to me only, but to all those who love his appearing. See, so God is seeing and hearing and observing your words, your actions, your actions of obedience. We might think, well, you know what? Um, Maybe nobody sees what I'm doing, or maybe nobody really cares or understands my struggle. God is saying, 56.8 56.8 of Psalms, I'm bottling your tears, I'm, I'm writing down your wanderings, and thirty-one, 31.4 of Job, I'm counting your, your footsteps, I'm making a note of your words, even your thoughts in Malachi 3. So God is saying, you are the object of my love, but also the object of my attention. The fourth crown is the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5.4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. <clears throat> Again, recognizing the glory of God, sacrificing uh, to have Christ be a priority in your life, to gather together to be a worshiper of his glory. I mean, these crowns are exceptionally, uh, you know, there's a lot to say about them. I'm just I'm breezing over them. We can talk about them more later. And then the crown of life of revelations two ten, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested that you have tribulation for 10 days, but be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life, the crown of life. Think about that. The martyrs crown, those that lose their natural life, but they, uh, they declare eternal life. So, these five Stephanos crowns, uh, when we stand before God in Revelation chapter 4 and the books are opened and the Bema seat is a place of reward, and in First Corinthians 3, there, there'll be a loss, a loss of opportunity, maybe a loss of um, mismanaged opportunities, but God says, I will not bring up my, your sin, because that's been paid for but I will reward you in Revelations 4, and you'll be able to cast your crowns at the feet of Jesus in 4, 10, and 12. What an amazing, amazing privilege to, uh, yes, go to heaven. Yes, Christ is our ultimate prize, if we could put it that way. But we are honoring God in time, and the way we honor God in time, the way we orient ourselves to God in time changes our eternity it changes other people's eternity that's why we're doing this play one decision can change your life forever why is that because how we live today affects our eternity and what we know of our future changes the way that we live today so I love this these crowns so Jesus is saying are you looking at me with your evil eye listen I have done everything for you in 5-4 of Isaiah what more can I do for you? Don't judge me because you're jealous. Don't judge me because you think I'm wrong. Let's go back to what he originally said. I'm rewarding you. You are, uh, you are my son and my daughter, and there's sonship and eternal life. And let's not imagine a vain thing. Let's stick to the facts. Let's stick to these, uh, the oath and promise that God has sealed with his own blood, and maybe today you're feeling last, God is saying listen i you you will be first, your pain is has purpose, your pain is not wasted uh don't don't define God in secular or human uh in human conclusions. let's define him based on himself based on his promise, based on uh, what he has done for us already, and and those unanswerable questions like why does a baby die, why does why does a madman invade an innocent country, or we could say how is it that the the uh, the the wicked God is angry at the wicked every day? How is it that they live longer than the righteous? These are questions that only God can certainly uh, give us wisdom. But to know him is that, I love this statement, I do thee no wrong, my friend. I do thee no wrong. And this is the heart of God. This is the heart of God. As we labor in God's field, let's get to know him and let's uh, not try to explain God because that's impossible, but let's lift him up and declare who he is. And he can certainly communicate. And define who he is in a personal way. So I love this. I love this, this parable because God is looking for laborers, and God is. There's so much work to be done. I mean, and when I say work, it's really a privilege to, to, um, be declarers and not necessarily debaters. I mean, it's such a privilege to share with people the the majesty of forgiveness and the matchless grace of God and salvation. But there is that evil eye, and I, that, that that part of the parable always strikes me like, that's not fair. <laughs> and And it's like, wait a minute, we deserve nothing. I mean, it's a zero principle. It's like, I am nothing, only that which God says that I am. I deserve nothing, only that which God gives me. I am owed nothing. What God has given me is what I have is enough. It's like this cross orientation changes the way we live because— we will accuse God. We will be angry at God. We will imagine a vain thing saying that you should not have done that. I mean, I was talking to one brother. He just buried his wife and his spirit was so precious knowing that this was the will of God. And, and only he could say that in that way, uh, there was no accusatory nature to him, but he was broken obviously. And it's like, okay, Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be your name. And when we look at things, we don't understand, who are we to shake our fist and say, God, you shouldn't have done it that way? Because I, I love this, not not to go on and on here, but God looks at what's finished and he looks back at what at in time. When we look at what's unfinished and we look look forward in, into the mystery of time, it's like God's saying, everything I do, everything I do is for an eternal purpose, eternal intent. And we may not understand it. Most, most likely we won't understand yeah. half of the things that, we have questions for. It reminded me of something we recently taught in a leadership class about being offended or being hurt, and uh, I think it's, I think it's relevant because we can see that in this parable, the, uh, you know, the ones that objected were offended. They they were people that, uh, you know, they 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 literally didn't agree with God, uh, based on. God's ultimate precept of who he is. And and we can get offended, 119, 165, if we love the truth, we will not be offended. And we could go on to say that being offended is a choice where I disagree with God based on my own understanding comparatively to being hurt, which is something that happens to us and unfortunately that can happen and God is near to the brokenhearted and to the and to the hurt and there's care and compassion and comfort for those that are hurt but being offended is very different that's a choice that we make it's something that we go against what God has said or we disagree with how things are playing out and i feel like in these last days Matthew 24 says it the atmosphere of our day is being offended and the only comfort for an offended person is the cross where when someone is hurt their only comfort is to be loved and nurtured in Jesus Christ but it's very difficult to win an offended brother it's like uh it's like taking over a a fortified city it's very difficult and I just think about Jesus again saying, listen, you agreed to this. We were at the same page, but something changed. You changed. Your perception of me changed. Somehow you lost the precept of the promise in your experience. And I just caution us, it is so easy to be offended when the flesh is meant to be the interpreter or the filter of our lives. And God help us to recognize when we're offended or when we're hurt and to lay it all at the feet of Jesus and be loved by God and to say, thank you, God, for my penny. Thank you, God, for my salvation. Thank you, God, that my brother is being or my sister is being promoted. We rejoice. Love rejoices in another person's favor. And um, and we leave this selfish uh, self-centered, self-oriented type of living, and we and 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 uh, and <laughs> I don't know. Being offended, it's very easy if we're not crucified with Christ. It's very easy. Thanks, friends, for joining us for another episode of the Inner Revolution podcast. Please find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode.